0: Welcome to Healing Your Families. This is the first in our series on special needs. So this month, we're going to be talking about supporting individuals and family members with special needs. And let me just explain why this is so near and dear to my heart. So I'm old enough to remember a time when the only children I went to school with were children like me. School was easy for them, they learned, they didn't have any challenges. And the only reason I ever met any children who were different is because my mother made an effort to introduce me to them. So she, I met the girl who was blind, but she could play the organ beautifully. And I met the boy with Down syndrome, who couldn't really talk in complete sentences or do any schoolwork, but he was always happy and friendly. And I learned more about children who were different than me. And I learned to care about them because my mother cared about them and she would explain what their challenges were. And that was how I first learned. Now, in time, Oh, starting back in the early 1970s, it became more of an issue. More people were realizing that some children needed extra help. And it wasn't fair to say, you can't bring your child to our school because we don't have the resources to educate them. So there were a series of laws that were passed. The most recent one was IDEA. And that's Individuals with Disabilities Education Act, and federal funding was provided, and states were required to put in place programs that would help every child. They wanted everyone to be able to get an education and to learn and develop. And as I was completing my teaching degree, I had an opportunity to get a special ed endorsement. And I was interested in this because I wanted to learn more about, so how do you help someone who's struggling learning to read or someone who has a hard time with math? And I'm a retired school teacher and 23 of the 24 years that I taught, I worked with students with special needs. Some of them just had learning disabilities. Some of them had physical challenges like visually impaired or hearing impaired or difficulty with mobility. Some of them had emotional challenges or mental illness, mental challenges. And it's, This is near and dear to my heart because I learned so much from these students and from working with them and their families. And I learned a lot about how we address, how we help people with individual needs. So in the United States, I talked about the federal laws, one of them The first step is called child find so they a number of educational assessments were devised educational psychological assessments were devised to measure disability and the severity of a disability. I learned how to administer those I I did those every year. And then once a it's determined what the challenge is. Now, the term disability is most frequently used and I still use it, but I found it to be much more effective to focus on a student's abilities rather than what they, what they could do rather than what they couldn't do. But IEP, IEP stands for Individual Educational Plan and these meetings were to be held at least once a year that involved the parents the student if they were old enough and school personnel usually there was a case manager that's what i was and who was also quite often a special ed teacher an administrator maybe some of the other teachers who worked with the student if they needed any additional services like speech therapy occupational therapy then sometimes they were included as well, or they at least sent their report. And in this meeting, the objective was to look at the whole student and decide how can we help them get the education they need? As they approach junior high, high school age, they would be looking at what are their plans for when they leave high school? What do they want their life to look like then? And we would also be looking at what can they reasonably accomplish? What goals can they meet in this academic year? And how can the IP team members support them in reaching that goal? So the teachers might determine that the student could have certain accommodations. For example, if They were had physical challenges, maybe PE could be not eliminated as a requirement or modified things like that. So. All of this taught me a lot about how best to serve and help support people with special needs, what works and what doesn't work so well. Let me go into some of the specifics that I learned. The first thing I learned is that while it's easy to look at someone who has a lot of challenges and make the decisions that they probably aren't going to be able to contribute much, it is a mistake to assume they don't have value. Everyone has value. Everyone has worth. Every person I meet has something that I can learn from them. Maybe it's just how to have a beautiful, welcoming smile, but every individual has worth. And I witnessed some of the greatest acts of compassion and kindness in my special ed classes. Maybe they didn't know how to do math, but they knew how to reach out to someone who was lonely, how to welcome someone who was new. That was a powerful lesson for me. And I also learned something unique about these individuals. I gave these educational assessments, I'd be measuring, and maybe there would be one student whose learning disability measured about that much, and another student's learning disability measured about that much. And what I soon discovered is that had absolutely no bearing on their possibility of success. Even more important than the challenge and the severity of the challenge was their attitude, whether or not they believed in themselves. One girl told me that her mother really instilled in her confidence by reminding her that her her disability did, did not define her, that she had worth, she had value. And maybe school was challenging for her, but she could still do and accomplish many things. And so she had the confidence to move ahead. Another student, one of those whose learning disability measured this big had a passion for history. And he came to me, this was in high school, and he asked, can I please take the advanced history class? I will do whatever it takes to keep up, but I love history and I want to take this class. And I was really concerned because I knew the class required a lot of reading and writing and that was his weakest area. But I talked to the history teacher and I explained, I have this student who loves history and really wants to be in your class, but he really, he's going to really struggle with reading and, and writing. And the teacher said, okay, let him, let him come. I can work with him. You know, there, there are books on tape. He could do oral reports instead of a written essay. Let's, you know, if he really loves it, let's do it. And Later on, that same history teacher came to me and just was amazed with how much this boy contributed to his class. And this led me to another discovery that students, it's that intrinsic motivation that moves them forward. When this student was allowed a sub, to pursue a, a subject he was interested in, he rose to meet the challenge. I also observed in, in sometimes the setting is a separate classroom for just students who have special needs. And sometimes this just like this boy, they would attend a regular classroom and just get some support outside of the classroom. And I was amazed to see the difference in behavior. When students were in a special ed classroom, they would tend to do things like lay on the floor, interrupt the teacher, get up and walk around the room. There was just kind of a very casual atmosphere. And you would see the same student in that setting behaving like the other students did And then they would be in a regular classroom and their behavior rose to meet that standard. They behaved like the other students did. They stayed in their seats, they didn't lay on the floor. It was really interesting to see how their behavior could rise to the expectations. I found that interesting. A lot of times in these IEP meetings when we came up with an accommodation like we did for this boy who loved history, it allowed him to do something he loved. And sometimes they were really a good idea to allow the student to succeed, but I also found that there were times when the accommodations became could become an excuse especially in those cases when the student had been in special ed classrooms since they were in grade school, they began to accept that label, that limitation. It became who they were. And you would hear them say things like, I can't do math, I'm in special ed. And they didn't even want to try. And that was discouraging. And I could come up with all kinds of extrinsic motivators, incentives, prizes, but it was nowhere near as effective as when they had that intrinsic motivation. They had something that they wanted. That student who couldn't pass a written test to save his life, but he wanted that driver's license. So when it came time, That was one written test he had no problem passing. That intrinsic motivation is ever so much more valuable than any extrinsic, anything the adults in their lives can put in place trying to motivate them. Students do best when they're pursuing their passion. Now, before I leave the they would a, a take on that label. They would believe it. They would accept it. One coworker told me a really sad story. She was at a, at a store and she overheard a conversation between a customer and the store clerk. And the customer was just asking about a certain product and what it did and what its availability was. And the clerk made a few half-hearted attempts to answer and then he just said, I don't know these things. I was in special ed in high school. And that really was a, a wake up call to those of us who were teaching high school. Are we preparing them to just accept this label of disability and hold on to it even after they left school and went out into the adult world? So, right now, the curriculum that all students in schools deal with, that the education is curriculum centered. It's around a core curriculum that's been established by the federal and state governments of certain topics that they must demonstrate competency in. And again, it goes back to the extrinsic or the intrinsic. This does not work as successfully. I had a hard time when students would ask me, why do we have to learn this? They saw no value in it. They couldn't understand how it would serve them in the future. A more effective way, I witnessed. It's called the Sudbury model. I had the opportunity to visit a school, it's a private school that used this approach. It's a student-centered approach to learning. The Sudbury School was established in Massachusetts in the early 1960s. And it completely turns this concept around. Instead of the, the, the education being centered around the curriculum, the education is centered around the child. And the child is exposed to many different things to determine what their interest was. Do they want to be outside studying bugs? Do they like art or music? And then the curriculum molded around that. And they were encouraged to continue to pursue this interest. And sometimes it would take a different path. And that was fine. That was encouraged as well. And in the process of pursuing that topic that they were interested in, the other subjects naturally came in. If they wanted to study more about their preferred topic, they needed to work on reading and writing. Math usually came into it. And this school, this Sudbury School in Massachusetts, kept records of what happened to their graduates. So they had decades of records showing that more of their students than the typical high school were likely to go on for advanced degrees. They became entrepreneurs. They thought outside of the box. They were more creative. So I've learned that Even the most severely challenged student, when they're allowed to pursue their interest, whether it's music, art, mechanics, whatever, they can accomplish much more. And the last thing I learned was about these IEP meetings. Now, In the IEP meeting, it's required to be held at least once a year. And it was the the law IDEA was actually written to protect the rights of parents. The people who wrote the law were concerned that schools might take over for parents and just not consider their needs. But the truth is that As a parent, you know your child better than anyone else. It doesn't matter how many advanced degrees they have. You know your child better than anyone else. You know what their needs are, what motivates them. So the purpose of this meeting is for the parents to contribute and advocate for their child. And the school personnel to represent here are the resources we have in the school. How can we make this work? And for them to support each other. The goal is a cohesive team. And I have been in those meetings when that took place and the focus became the student. How can we support this student in reaching their goals? And when that happened, we came up with plans that resulted in greater progress than anyone could have predicted. Students got further than even their parents had hoped because they had that support, that wind beneath their wings that allowed them to overcome whatever their challenge was, find a way to grow and to, to develop and improve and become better. But I've also been in those IEP meetings when adult egos took over, family and school personnel butted heads. The need, best interest of the student was completely overlooked. They were left on their own and it was heartbreaking to see they didn't get the support that they needed. So oftentimes when parents go in, enter this room with these professionals with several letters behind their names, they may feel intimidated. But I want want them to remember that they know their child better than anyone else. They're an expert on their child they have valuable information to share, and they have legal rights behind them. If an issue comes up, they just had the IEP meeting and something comes up, they don't have to wait another year. They can call a meeting, they can advocate for their child and make sure they get that support. The accommodations that allow them to succeed and not that enable them that that disable them that actually hold them back and and cause them to accept that label they can take as when they all work together as a team the results are absolutely amazing so i'm excited that we get to talk about this this month i think You know, when you think about it, we all have our unique needs and differences. So in a family, obviously, you know better than to try to compare your children to each other. They're individuals. They each have their own unique strengths and weaknesses. And if you can focus on their strengths, make sure they know and understand what their strengths are and teach them to believe in themselves and that they can do and accomplish anything they want. I think that's the most effective way to support them. So I'm excited. We're gonna have four guest speakers this month on topics from autism and emotional challenges, tutoring, when does your child need a tutor? And I'm excited to have them. So be sure to tune in this, this month. Now, you may at times feel like you love your family, but sometimes it's not quite, just not quite going the way you want it to go. And you, 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 maybe the communication isn't as clear and effective as you think it could be or the relationships could use some strengthening, or there's some behavior that concerns you. Well, I have developed a plan that works like a GPS. So when you know, you know how a GPS works, when you know where you are, and you know where you wanna go, then you can easily map out the route from one to the other, and you know the, the roads, which roads are open, which ones are closed, what the possible routes are. So I have, and I hope you'll accept this offer, I want you to go to emalupenrod.com forward slash first step. And this is an assessment you can use with your, for your family. It's, you know, where are you now? Let's determine your point of origin. Where are you now? That's the first step. You need to know where you are. Take that first step. And then you can work towards setting goals, determining where you want to be and mapping the route to get there. So please go to emilypenrod.com forward slash first step and get that start your journey. I invite you to do that. And I invite you to join me again next week. At the same time, we'll have some amazing guest speakers. You'll get a lot of valuable content from them. So until then, love yourself, love your families. Let's make the world a better place by strengthening families. This is Emily Penrod with healingyourfamilies.com.